0: It's my um, privilege this morning to introduce uh, our speaker this morning. Uh, it's a good friend of mine. His name is Mike Shane, and I asked him a few weeks ago if uh, he wouldn't mind uh, uh, speaking today, as I took a breath uh, between a couple of series. Um, Mike uh, and his wife Amy and family have been at West Bowls for about four years. Mike uh, recently graduated with his MDiv from Denver Seminary and uh, he's currently seeking the Lord's guidance on uh, where God would have him serve uh, in ministry. And uh, so I asked him, I said, boy, did you ever think of uh, teaching or preaching? And he said, yeah, that's a possibility. So I said, I'd like to sh- uh, share with West Bull's uh, Labor Day weekend. And he said, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd like to share with my family here. Um... A couple weeks later, I learned uh, what um, God had placed on Mike's heart to share with us today. I became triply excited because it's a timely message, a message on humility, and I thought, um, you know what, Um, I know very um, few men uh, more humble uh, than Mike Shane, although in listening to his uh, message this morning, it wasn't always the case, uh, was it, Mike? Um, and he'll share a little bit about that uh, with us this morning. So would you join me in welcoming uh, one of our own brothers, West Bowles, Mike Shane. Come on up, Mike.
1: Good morning, West Bowles. They always say, be careful with the joke but I couldn't resist. The guy said, you know, I'd rather be in the mountains thinking about God than sitting in church thinking about the mountains. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cute. I mean, the advantage of being here today is you don't have to fight all that traffic. Unless you're John Burns who got up early this morning to come down and get all this sound stuff together, and I really appreciate and We should really give a hand <laughs> to John for all the work he does here for us. Well, as Pastor Todd uh, said, my topic is on humility. And to talk about humility, you have to talk about pride. We're all on that journey, aren't we, of becoming more like Christ. And humility is one attribute that we're all growing on. And this morning, I want to help, I want to encourage you to pursue humility. I'm going to share a little bit from my own journey of growing in humility. And one anecdote comes from my time in high school. I'm the youngest of seven kids. I have five sisters. Talk about trying to get into the bathroom. <laughs> but uh, five sisters and a brother, and I'm the youngest, youngest child. And our family um, is an intellectual family. My mother um, graduated from Colby College in, in, in Maine. Her father was a professor of physics. I learned not too long ago that he was part of one of the engineers behind the Dorden bomb site that they use to drop bombs during World War II. All that to say is that I grew up in that kind of an environment and developed a sense of pride about being in the smart family. And so when I went to high school in the train of kids, I was kind of expected to be smart and I thought of myself as above average and maybe smarter than most kids. And what that did for me was create a kind of an isolation. And I, I'm saying this um, directed to the young people as well. I had a really lonely um, time in high school because of my pride. And I isolated myself away from other people because I thought I was better than them. And I share that with you to encourage you to listen well today and maybe help you in your relational um, life. Well, in my math class, there was this girl, vivacious girl, a pretty girl, but I thought she was obnoxious. She wouldn't be quiet. So finally, one day I had enough and I just turned around. I said, well, you just shut up. But I didn't quite say it that way. I said, go someplace. You can use your imagination where that was. But I found out years later that I had really hurt her. I don't know if it was through Facebook or if it was through, you know, email or or a a, um, class reunion. But I found out years later that it really, really hurt her. My words just stopped her in her tracks. And I'm really sorry today to learn what my pride, my attitude, you know, I was real serious. I didn't do, you know, I didn't do those, you know, couldn't have fun and didn't want to associate with, you know, those people, you know. So my purpose today is to look at two responses that God has to pride. One to pride and the other response is to humility. So let's look at God's response to pride. If I could have the next. There we go. God opposes the proud. This is taken directly out of James chapter 4 verse 6. When you think about opposition, I mean, I think about football, okay? We're in the football season. Two teams are opposing each other. Okay, they're, they're pushing, they're fighting, they're, you know, it's all for the game of sport. It's all to be not, you know, that serious. But it's this idea of opposing. But in God's view, he opposes the proud. He is against it. One of the most favorite examples um, that I can think of is of god opposing someone who's proud as king nebuchadnezzar you've probably heard of him he was the the king of babylon who built this humongous statue of himself and under penalty of being thrown into a fiery furnace you had to bow down otherwise you were toast okay remember him well he was a great king he did amazing things he conquered many peoples, and he built, he was known for his, his architecture abilities, his wonderful gardens, his palaces. And one day he was outside looking at the wonderful things he had done, and he was just boasting to the heavens of how great he was. Well, God had enough of him, and he humbled him. He, he made him go insane. He became like an animal crawling around on all fours, For about seven years or so. And he ate grass. And his hair grew long, and his fingernails grew long and dirty. I can just imagine how gross his fingernails were, grubbing around the dirt like a badger or a woodchuck. But then God had mercy on him, and he repented. And he acknowledged that God is the only God. And God restored him to his kingdom. But with a, with an attitude of humility, and you can read about this in Daniel, in, in, in the book of Daniel. It's a great, a great story, and it's a true story. This is one really strong illustration of how God directly opposes the proud. It's interesting. In Proverbs three thirty four, it says God mocks the mockers. This is where this verse in the New Testament really got its roots in the in the thinking of the Jewish and Christian people god mocks the mockers the greek uses or translates in english opposes but in hebrew it's mocks it's a stronger sense of god's opposition to the proud you ever get caught in your own words the apostle peter did lord i will never 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 betray you when everyone else deserts you I won't, I won't do it. I'll never do it. Well, if you're familiar with Peter's story, people came to him as Jesus was arrested, and they said, are you one of the disciples? No. I don't know the guy. Peter lied directly about his knowledge of Jesus. And before he had just said, I'll never, he boasted, I'll never, I'll never run away. I'll never I'll always be there for you, Jesus. He wept in humility, in humiliation, when he realized what he had done. God had really mocked him with his words. I had the same experience in college. It's hard to talk about because it was a very painful thing for my family. It cost my family considerable money and grief. I was involved in a Christian fellowship I had become a Christian not too long ago, so I was one of those, you know, fired-up Christians. I had been in church all my life, but God wasn't real to me until I started reading the Bible, and I and I read the words of Jesus, and it changed my life. I'd never read anything like that before, so it really, turned God turned my life upside down, and and I became a zealous Christian, but one with a lot of pride. So, in the Christian fellowship, my leader. He said to the group, what's your spiritual gift? And I jumped right in there and said, I have the gift of discernment. I can tell the difference between an evil spirit and a good spirit, no problem. And then right away, my leader just jumped on me. I mean, he got hot, and he said, you've got to be real careful about claiming that gift. I was like, whoa. You know, I didn't understand why he really got unglued. Well, I found out later I got involved in a religious cult when I was in college. I met this guy with a Bible. I thought you could trust anybody with a Bible, right? I had to be forcibly deprogrammed from a cult. A cult is a group that basically you end up being brainwashed by, by them and you end up doing everything they say. My parents had to hire a professional counsel, Christian counselor, to point out the errors because they, they, they twisted Scripture and they used manipulative techniques, brainwashing techniques. And after a year, my parents, the only way to really get me safely out was to hire a professional counselor to have security. I had to go to a safe house in Chicago. I ended up in a, a month in rehab, a halfway house in Iowa. Did I have this gift of discernment? God mocks the mockers. And you might think, God, that's really, you know, for God to do that to you, that's just really severe. And, whoa, God is, you know, God is mean. But, you know, it says in Romans that God just lets us go our way. If we choose to pursue the path of unrighteousness, if we want to choose sin, we're going to reap the benefits. It's not God who did that to me or did that to Peter. He was definitely more direct with King Nebuchadnezzar. But it's our, there is an element. I know we've been talking about that. Pastor Todd has been talking about this free will and God knowing everything. And I don't understand how it all works. But certainly we have a role in the choices that we make. Now I'd like to move to God's response to humility. When I think of humility, Psalm 23 comes to mind. I'm I'm sorry, when I think of God's grace, I think of Psalm 23. What a beautiful illustration. There's so much language. If you're familiar with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. If you don't know this one by heart, I'd really encourage you just to meditate on this one. Such a beautiful illustration. Image of green pastures and still waters, you know, of comfort. And also, he, the psalmist talks about being protected by uh, God through the valley of the shadow of death. What beautiful language. And then he talks about, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, what, what beautiful language. And my heart just desires that, just just wants to be under God's grace. And this teaches us how God gives his grace to the humble. It doesn't mean you're not going to stub your toe, you're not going to break a leg or get a cold. Oh boy, I wish we could uh, get away from having colds. But God's kingdom isn't fully realized until he comes back. So there is imperfection, there is going to be physical laws and cause and effect so these things are gonna are gonna happen but overall God's I like to think of it as God's smile I mean as a kid I I just longed to have my parents uh, be approving of me I mean as I, I can imagine that resonates with you younger people that just to have your parents or your teacher's approval to have their smile boy what what how we long for that. I just long to have God smile. I know the, the youth have also been talking about being in the world, but not of the world. James gives us two paths where we can choose to be in the world and of the world through pride, or we can be in the world but not of it through humility. So we have a choice. One person who Really experienced God's grace in dramatic ways, the Apostle Paul. If you if you know his story, he was a very arrogant Pharisee. He just thought he was great because he kept all the rules. He wasn't like everybody else. His story you can read in, in Philippians. He talks about how he depended upon his heritage as a Jew and how being, you know, from the tribe of Benjamin was was really made him better than everybody else. He was also an evil guy. He was a murderer. St- Stephen was the first one who was the mar- one of the mar- early martyrs. It says in Acts that the, the clothing of those or the coats of those who stoned him to death were at the feet of Paul. That means Paul was a ringleader. He was a ringleader of this assassin group or this, this mob, basically, that murdered S- Stephen. Stephen was an innocent man. Paul was responsible for the death of an innocent guy. But then, on the way to damascus jesus showed up in a bright light and he lost his eyesight he wandered around couldn't see and he was brought to his knees before the feet of jesus and he cried out to the lord in humility and that at that point he started to receive the grace of god and if you look at, in first timothy he says the grace of the of the lord was poured out upon me upon along with the great the love and the faith that's in jesus Paul was one who experienced the grace of God in humility. From a more secular standpoint, I just want to illustrate how humility can be a blessing of God. I don't know if you get the Costco magazine, but it's one of those hundred things that show up every month or whatever and often end up in the trash can. But there was a great article about the, the new CEO of Campbell Soup. This uh, gal is a tremendous CEO, and the author was writing about the f- her five top qualities of leadership. And guess what the first, first one listed? This is audience participation. Come on. Humility. I thought that was great. I mean, isn't that amazing of how humility can impact our lives and how humility was the first thing that was mentioned as a characteristic of her leadership. I mean, what a way to improve your life. I mean, this is God's grace. It's, like, it's kind of like gravity, okay? It's going to happen. Oh, yeah, you guys are smart. Oh, oh, there's exceptions. Yeah, it doesn't always work if you're in a spaceship or if you're in one of those airplanes and they pay a big money and you know, get away from gravity for a few minutes. But by and large, if the rock falls, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drop. Or if you drop, you get what I'm saying. Gravity's going to work, okay? And so these principles are, they're real, they're true. If you want to have God's favor, pursue humility. Now, when the author who wrote this, James, the scripture this morning, he was a leader in, in the church. He was a, a pastor in the early church in Jerusalem, and he wrote to a number of churches. And A lot of churches weren't these mega churches. They were small, more house churches. They met in synagogues, but they also had to have met in, in homes. So he he was responsible for, knew a lot about what was going on. And in his letter, he points out all kinds of stuff, negative stuff, that's problems that was going on in the churches. And of course, there had to be good things going on, as there is in every church, but there were a lot of bad things. There was discrimination against the poor. There was jealousy. There was backbiting. There was slander. There was actual fights. There was boasting. There was all kinds of things. A lot of people were in the world and of the world in those churches. And it's interesting to me that as kind of a way to address these issues, he talks about pursuing humility. This verse comes right in kind of the, it's kind of the meat of the sandwich of, the, of his letter. He just really focuses on, okay, God gives more grace. It just encourages my heart to know that even though we have these problems, you may have problems in your relationships. You may not be going so well. You might be fighting with your spouse. You might be fighting with your siblings. But there's hope through Humility. Pastor Todd spoke about how, yes, there's evil in the world, God permits evil, but Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil, to bring healing to the world. And we can become, uh, we can have his grace, his healing in this world. In, in now. It's not just pie in the sky, it's real. But we have to humble ourselves. I have a quick illustration of pride and humility We debated, Amy and I, about if this would be a good one or not, but this is uh, hard to do at 5,000 feet. (laughs) Okay, that's to represent my head (laughs) and the appropriate size of my head. Now, this is not pride. Okay, now this will be pride. Pride. Okay, it doesn't take a brain scientist uh, with a big head to figure out um, what pride is. But you, we all know, I think it's pretty common. What are the adjectives when you think of a proud person? Big head, boastful, arrogant, full of himself. Okay, we get the idea of pride. There's, a, there's also another form of pride that Amy and I have been kind of kicking around. It's like there's not really biblical examples of pride like this. It's it's the too small, okay? I, it's like where does it say in the Bible that pride is to you know less than yourself? But if you think about pride being an unreality, being something you're not, being a lie, then it kind of fits that you know if you're thinking too much of yourself or too little, like you're whining, oh, I don't have anything to offer to the church, you know, poor me and you're just full of all these gifts that are just lying there waiting to be used, okay, that that can be a form of pride. It's It's an unreality. And if you think about unreality or think about lies, it's a lie. We're talking about lies here. Gee, I wonder why God opposes pride. Where did, I mean, who's the father of lies? I mean, now we can see why God might hate, hate, Pride, oppose pride, mock pride, whether it's too much of yourself or too little of yourself. Okay? And I have a movie clip from Voyage of the Dawn Treader that came out recently or not too long ago. And it's about Eustace who goes from a person who's full of pride and fighting to being redeemed by the Lord. You have to the, the English accent's a little hard to so you got to really kind of catch the words. It opens with him in his in his bedroom. He's di- he's on his diary and he's really upset because his cousins because of World War II, his cousins have have they were bombing London, so that they had to put kids in safe places and so his cousins end up in his room in his home and he's not too happy about it. So he's really nasty and he mocks them for believing. In, in, in Narnia, which represents the kingdom of God or, or Christianity. So he mocks them. And then you'll see a scene where he becomes literally a dragon. He got transformed because he, he stole a bracelet, magic bracelet. And then Jesus, in the form of a lion, heals him, and then he, you'll see what happens to him after that. So... so much.
2: Dear Darwin, It is now day 253 since my wretched cousins, Edmund and Lucy, invaded our house. Not sure how much longer I can cope living with them, having to share my things. If only one could treat relatives like one treats insects, all my problems would be solved. I could simply put them in a jar or pin them to my wall. I'm home! Hello? Note to self. Investigate legal ramifications of impaling relatives. Faces at you! Why, you little? Father's gonna hit me! Edmund, look! They're once were or two orphans who wasted their time believing in Narnia nursery rhymes. Please, let me hit him. No! Don't you ever knock. It's my house. Do as I please. You're just guests. What's so fascinating about that picture anyway. It's hideous. So what was it like? When Aslan changed you back? No matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't do it myself. Then he came towards me. It sort of hurt, but it was a good pain. You know, like when you pull a thorn from your foot. I mean, I think it was a better dragon than I was a boy, really. So sorry for being such a sop. It's okay, Eustace. You are a pretty good dragon. We spoke often of Narnia in the days that followed. And when my cousins left, after the war ended, I missed them with all my heart.
1: At this point of today's message, you may be feeling kind of like a dragon. I don't want to leave you there. It's frustrating to be told, you should be humble, stop being proud, and then not be given the instructions or the how to do it. Now that you told me I'm a sinner, now what do I do? I mentioned in the beginning that we're all on this path of growing to be like Christ. Maybe some of you have never started the journey. Maybe you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have, and maybe you're only an inch or two in the process of sanctification, of growing to be like Jesus. It's, that's our goal to be like Him. It really doesn't matter where you are in the journey. Of course, it matters if you haven't even started the journey. that it matters as well. What matters most is that you're moving toward Christ-likeness. That's why we exist as a church, is to grow in, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. The Apostle James gives us some suggestions of how to, how to become something other than a dragon, something how to grow in humility. He says in verse 7 of chapter 4, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is a lot to remember. It's about coming down from your high horse, coming out of your letting air out of your balloon or getting more air in your balloon. It's about drawing near to God. This isn't about self-help here. Work harder, do these five steps and you'll be better and shoot, have you can you remember those five steps? You read those books and I'm not saying those books are bad. I read them. I'm not trying to blast that. I'm just saying without the Lord, we can't. It's about relationship. Change, sanctification is about, salvation is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And if you do, are you walking with him daily? One... I think easy way of applying this, one step, I'm I I like the KISS principle. KISS Principle, keep it simple, stupid. One simple step of application that you can take home is just to be honest. Remember, pride is about an unreality, it's it's a lie. Examine your heart. Where are you in your relationship, in your honesty? Search your heart before God. That's how you grow in his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words this morning from your word. God, you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. God, you're such a gracious God. You love us so much. You have so much for us. You want to bless us and lift us up. We have a wonderful promise that those who humble themselves will be exalted. What a great promise for us to take home today. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Would you uh, stand, please, for uh, benediction this morning? As Mike was um, speaking at the 8 o'clock service this morning, I thought of, um, got me thinking about the Apostle Paul and his recovery from pride. And he kept an eye on it in his churches throughout his uh, ministry. And um, this line that Paul wrote to one church um, struggling with pride in Colossa uh, came to mind. Um, It's particularly... It's particularly the Apostle Paul, if you realize that if you were a Colossian or if I was Colossian in the days of Paul, it's quite likely that we would be involved in the business of making clothes. That was the trade of the town of Colossae. And so hear Paul's words to that church and hear Paul's words to us yet today too. Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Happy Labor Day. We'll see you soon. God bless you all.